0: I'm Julie Minor. People may be traveling
1: with something. Yeah, that's true. Julie was turning in church. Well, how do we open in prayer? Would anyone like to open in prayer? Sure. Go ahead. Thanks. Only
0: Lord and Father, um, we uh, lift up this time. We gather together in your name. It's your people. And Lord, we ask you to meet with us and uh, uh, open our minds to the things that you've got in your Word, of course, this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Thank
2: you, no justs. Hmm? I said thank you, no justs. Oh. I just wanted
1: to. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this is on understanding the New Testament. And... I'm assuming that means if you're here that, that you want to understand the New Testament more than you do. I'm just no, it's your along. personal
0: magnetism
1: as a matter <laughs> There you go. So, with that assumption in mind, I don't know exactly what your questions, your, uh, your um, interest level is, and what kinds of things about the New Testament that you might want to know more about. And... Uh, so I really think, especially with adult learning, it's good to start with a kind of contract in the sense that um, you don't have to be here. You know, the only reason why you come is, is because you're going to get something out of it that you believe it will be helpful to you and useful to you. So I thought it might be good to just hear from you what your interest was in or uh, is in the New Testament, and then I'll take notes and I will try to work out everything I can into the following lessons I have a lesson planned for the day um, I can certainly um, adapt it if, if I need to but more than likely what I'll do is I'll work it into future lessons so and feel free at any time that you have a question that comes to mind that you'd like to have answered if, even if I can't answer it right right away I'll stick it in a future lesson so do you have any thoughts whooping cranes in the Bible <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh, I've been reading some things recently on, um, I guess, it comes out of research on uh, Second Temple Judaism mm-hmm. and how uh, and the messianic hopes and the, and the quotes from the Old Testament were definitely old, you know, messianic quotes that. We don't recognize in translation that everybody says, Jesus didn't claim to Messiah be Messiah. And they said, if you knew Hebrew and you knew what it was like then, you'd know he definitely was because of the way he said things and that mm-hmm. stuff. That's kind of fascinating to see along with the
1: mm-hmm.
3: former usual. It's
1: like the the, sec- the hopes of Second Temple Judaism and the language of Second Temple Ju- Judaism?
3: Yeah, um, the, things, the things that they recognized at the time. Apparently, they found it when they dug through the Hebrew Talmud and stuff. They found things that back then, yes, this was considered a messianic promise. Mm-hmm. And they just sort of
1: pushed away mm-hmm. now. Okay. Actually, we'll, we will talk a little bit about that today. So that's
3: ah! Good morning. The kingdom stuff looks. Yeah. yeah. What does that mean? Yeah.
1: yeah. I tend to interpret everything in light of kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? And how does the New Testament relate to it?
4: Well, I bought a book at RTS. I think he quoted Goldsworthy.
1: Goldsworthy. Yeah. Grand Goldsworthy. Mm-hmm. I,
4: I can't say I finished it. but
1: <laughs> I like his I stuff. Uh, wait, uh, do, you know, do you remember which book it was?
4: It was a big one. It was like a combination of...
1: Yeah. It
0: was one in that... Um, that God's big picture was kind no. of
1: based after no?
4: maybe, maybe, but it was the bigger
1: one. Yeah, there's there's three books he published and they got combined into yeah, one big yeah. one. And one of them, I have that book. I bought it because I only, I only wanted one of them, the one on the kingdom, and that's the only one I've read. But it was it was like the same price as just buying the book, the one book that I wanted. So I got all three. But it's a really good we, book. I came
4: from. A- Baptist Lutheran background.
3: So well, interesting comment. So, well, it just
4: depends on where we went to church. Ah. But then and then we went non denominational, now we're So, it's, it's all kind of confusing mm-hmm.
1: to me. That's very similar to my I screw up Baptist, and we went non denominational. When I was like eight, we went non denominational, and then and when I went to college, I ended up being Presbyterian. So <laughs> Any other uh, so so basically, how the kingdom of God relates to the New Testament? You're, you're making this very easy on me. You know, this is all the stuff I was planning on talking about anyway.
3: I, <laughs> I like big picture things, uh-huh. so I'm,
2: I'm always wanting to have the, something that provides a, a broader
0: perspective of Scripture. Okay. And provides me a good framework to hang things on.
1: Okay. I think I think that will. That's about all I can do with a four-week class on the New Testament. So yeah. hopefully, I'll succeed. Of there.
3: Different perspectives, and that's always kind of interesting. To
0: uh huh.
1: Okay. My pen is running out of ink. <coughs> uh, sure, just I'll give it that. I don't know if it's better, but it might be.
3: There's yeah. one in the middle of the pages.
1: Here. Look at that, several. Here, I'll, I'll give you back your nice one. I'll use the cheap one. Any other uh, ideas or questions you have for the series? All right. Well, uh, feel free to uh, let me know if you have any others. And here, let me give you my, my email address. You. I don't know if I... It's Scott J Simmons at Gmail. So. <clears throat> all right. Well, let's um, let's start today. Uh, what I thought is just to bring an uh, introduction to what the New Testament is all about, um, why it exists. Um, and what it's trying to accomplish, and I thought the best thing I could do to kind of tie into what Joe did for the Old Testament is to start there and to show uh, to, to look at what the New Testament or the Old Testament was pointing forward to, and then what Jesus does to bring about the hopes of the of the Old Testament, and and that I think will give us a very good orientation towards how the New Testament was written, why it was written, and. Uh, And, uh, I think that will, I think it will give us a good orientation to the rest of the, of the New Testament. And what I'm thinking is, today is just this overview, and then next week we'll do the Gospels, the following week we'll do Paul's Epistles, and the following week we'll do, um, uh, the the Epistles that weren't written by Paul. So, that's my general thought. So... And it seems like from what you guys, from the questions that you guys have, I think that outline will still work. So, let's look at if we can uh, Isaiah chapter sixty-one because I think this is going to be a very important passage to see um, what what the Old Testament expected the New Testament to do. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. This is one of my favorite passages of all Scripture. Anyone care to read verses 1 through 3?
3: Okay. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor.
1: Thanks. Hey, can you read verse 4 too? I forgot. 4, sorry,
3: okay. They will, build, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Thanks.
1: Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's interesting. We don't often think of the New Testament in these terms. We often think of the New Testament in terms of the doctrine of justification, how I get right with God so that I go to heaven when I die. And And that's not... I'm not here to dispute any of that. But as you might be able to tell from this passage, it seems like the Old Testament is anticipating much more than just that. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, if you were to describe this this word here in, in Isaiah 61, to preach good news to the poor, that's the word gospel. When Jesus said that he was preaching good news or the gospel, he was using this same word. And, and so... It's, I think, good to look at what the Gospel is from an Old Testament perspective to make sure that we're not making it smaller than it needs to be. So if you were to describe the Gospel and you had this passage to describe it from, what would you say the Gospel is? Sounds political and social. It does, kind of. And, and, and from an Old Testament perspective, it, it absolutely was. Because uh, Israel was a theocracy. They had a king, and, uh, and the king was under the reign of God. And so uh, it, is, it is a social gospel in that sense. I'm not saying that the liberals, if, if you're familiar with kind of the fundamentalist versus liberal debate, where the, the liberals were called the social gospel. And the and the fundamentalists had the fundamental gospel. I'm not not trying to enter into that debate at all. I'm a I'm an evangelical Christian. <laughs> but there are dynamics of the of the gospel from an Old Testament perspective that were decidedly political.
0: I, well I don't know when I read it, maybe it's because I've trained this way, but I still see all the personal promises in mm-hmm. here, you know, Binding up the broken-hearted, freedom for captives, release from darkness, <coughs> and all those things that we apply to individual salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I um, keep seeing that, um, you know, all the way through three for sure. Mm-hmm. I guess the year of the Lord's favor might might start. I see it more applying out in a. In a group rather than an individual setting, but um, but then I guess um, at the end of at the end of three and four it starts you know where he talks about the, the oaks of righteousness, a planning of the Lord, display for His splendor, rebuilding ancient ruins, restoring places devastated. Like that starts to sound to me more like a group. Uh, a social, a the whole restoration of the world itself, rather mm-hmm. than just the individuals.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. More, more. And I, I don't think uh, I ever, I, I don't think I ever want to communicate a division between like individual and corporate. That uh, or because I think you're exactly right. The there's both. And and when in, when Joe did his uh, overview of the Old Testament. He had the, the ease and one of them was exile, right? Did mm-hmm. he do it that way with a dip down? So this is you know this is exile here, where where Israel is in Babylon. So the uh, the northern kingdom went off to Assyria and assimilated into Assyrian culture. They were just gone. The remaining the remainers remainers uh, that stayed in, in uh, Israel then didn't come. Uh, they were never. Uh, not held taken captive, they came down to Judah and we were in 701 during the days of Hezekiah. So from 701 on, you basically have a, um, a united, reunited kingdom, uh, Judah, with the Northerners and the Southerners together. See that they did it long before we did, <coughs> and uh, and then 586 we have uh, exile. Now Isaiah is writing right around in here. Okay. And he's looking forward. He's writing about the exile before it even happens, but then he's also writing about this restoration here. Restoration, and this passage is talking about this restoration. Okay, <clears throat> and because that's the that's the condition that Israel as a nation was going to experience. They were going to be they're captive. They uh, their cities have been destroyed. Jerusalem is in ruins. And that doesn't just affect a nation, and it affects all the individuals that live in the nation. Whether you're exiled and, and taken to Babylon, or if you are uh, told you have to stay here in in Israel, your life is in a shambles compared to what it used to be. And they want restoration from that. And so, that is what the New Testament is all about. And even though, in five, this is 538, when the Cyrus Edict came and uh, the Jews were allowed to return to Israel. The, the restoration was not complete because the, t- the the temple was rebuilt, but in 515. But then, the Holy Spirit never descended upon it like it was in the earlier in the, in the Tabernacle days. We had that 400 years of silence. We're still being ruled by a foreign king, and um, and restoration never did take place the way it was hoped. Even Herod, who built this magnificent temple. Uh, didn't build it the way it was supposed to be built. And a lot of the very pious Jews in Jesus' day uh, were very frustrated with that temple because they did not believe it was true to Mosaic law. Okay. And there's a temple that was built
0: um,
1: contemporary to Jesus' time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Yeah, it was built bef- before his ministry, but yeah. Okay. It's, what? What, was, uh, what was wrong? Uh, all I know is that I, I don't know the the details of the archaeology of it, or the um, the, the building of it, but the I, I do know that what Herod wanted to do was to make Israel a place that Rome would be proud of. Mm. <clears throat> and so the temple was built, and the Sadducees worshipped in the temple. They were kind of the political... They were, they were the compromisers. They were the ones that had political power. And so they were the the ones that served in the temple, but they basically just compromised because they had power. They didn't want to lose it. And so it was the Pharisees that uh, were often saying the temple is not legit. And so you get get them uh, saying things. This is Second Temple Judaism stuff. They would say very interesting things like um, where two or three are gathered in my name, or not in my name, but where two or three are gathered together, there the law will be with them that sound a little bit familiar.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And the idea was, the temple is not God's legitimate place for worship, so what are we going to do? Well, maybe we can have temple where two or three are gathered together and read the law together. Maybe God's presence will be with us. And so we have this mindset from this point, from the return from exile in 538 until the time of Christ here, which has been called Second Temple Judaism. And there are a lot of characteristics that that Judaism during this time held in common because every Jew, every good Jew believed that there was one God and every good Jew uh, also believed that God chose Israel to be this, this nation that would exp- that would spread God's kingdom to the ends of the earth from Genesis chapter 12 that's what every good Jew believed And now, if you're a good Jew living during that time, and you look around at your own country, what do you believe about your own situation? Are you seeing those promises being fulfilled? No. Rome, if you had to say, who's in charge of the world right now? Everyone would say Rome, not God. And so, in 70 A.D., the Romans came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. <clears throat> and Josephus, who many of you may know of, he documented these wars. And after he, uh, after he witnessed the destruction, he literally said that uh, the God of Israel has given up on the Jews and has moved over to the Romans. That was his answer to the problem of, I believe in one God and God has chosen Israel. The only answer he could think of when Israel was destroyed was that God gave up on Israel and moved over to the Romans. But every Jew was trying to answer that question. If, God, if there is one God and if he has chosen Israel, why is life such a mess? Why am I being governed by Rome? And what are we going to do about it? And in the people in Jesus' day uh, had several answers to that question. Josephus was obviously a minority opinion. <laughs> but the Pharisees, they believed, and the zealots as well, they believed as long as we stay faithful to Torah and find ourselves a Davidic king, somebody who can claim right to David's throne, we can, we can overthrow Rome and we'll take over the world. But they had to demonstrate themselves to be faithful first. And they had to find this Davidic king. So Jesus comes in and he tells them, uh, you got it backwards. The point is to admit that you're unfaithful and that you need a Messiah, not that you are faithful and you're going to find yourself one. And what you start to see in... Uh, if, w- if we start to look at the New Testament from, from this perspective and the perspective of Second Temple Judaism uh, and how it contrasts with it as well as having some similarities we'll find that um, the gospel becomes much bigger but Jesus was about what, New, what the New Testament is about is not just how we as individuals can get right with God so we go to heaven when we die but the New Te- and that, that, that's wrong <laughs> it's absolutely right and um, But uh, it's more than that. It's about how God is going to reshape creation to display God's glory and what Jesus did to bring that about and what hope we have to see it all fulfilled. So, let's look... Any questions about that before we move on? Okay, I feel like that's kind of my thesis, if you will. If I had a thesis for the class, that's kind of it. Um, And uh, so I have to prove it. (laughs) So let's look at uh, Luke chapter 4. Would anyone like to read verses 14 through 30? Actually, we don't have to read that much. Let's read 14 through 21. Thanks.
4: Jesus returned to Galilee in this Power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue, as was custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, Today the
1: scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All right, now this, this, I love this stuff. All right, so, so Jesus gets up and he, obviously this is, uh, he's reading Isaiah 61, right? Uh, we just read that passage. And, did you, did you notice anything odd about Jesus, the way Jesus quoted that passage? The part about the blind was yeah, not in course. the original passage. Yes, uh, it's interesting you bring that up. The, he's quoting, uh, well, the the New Testament is quoting the Septuagint, and the Septuagint translates that a little differently. Is that so, from the darkness or something? Like that? Yeah, right, yeah. right. Recovery of, uh, yes. And so it's that's a little bit of a translation issue. So, but I don't think that was substantial. That's a different way of rendering the words. But the um, he says another it's fulfilled. Yeah, he says in your sight, right? today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. But there's yeah. something very different about the way that Jesus quoted the Old Testament passage. Or I should not say uh, he did something odd in the way that he quoted quoted it.
3: Oh yeah, got it right there. I happened to look down. He dropped off the second.
1: Yes, that's right. I gave I gave away the answer. Didn't I? <laughs> in Isaiah sixty one, Jesus or the, the uh, Isaiah says the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Yada yada yada. This is a good. This a general rule. You should not yada 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 scripture. <laughs> but uh, this is the Messiah coming in, and the way that this cont this this thinking continued until the day of Jesus. They tend to divide the world up into two ages. This age, and this is a technical term by the time of Jesus. This age and the age to come. Now, that terminology doesn't show up in this passage. But the idea happens. This is the time of oppression. This is the time of freedom. Okay? Because of this. Now, he comes. the Messiah comes to bring two things. The, the year of the Lord's favor... I'll just put year down. And then also the day of vengeance of our God. Okay? He's coming to bring two things. And in the mindset of Second Temple Judaism, having read Isaiah and other people who were writing in Jesus, in Jesus' day, they saw that as one event. One thing's going to happen. The Messiah's going to come. We're gonna, we are going to experience the year of the Lord's favor, everyone else is going to experience the day of vengeance of our God. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. There's going to be a universal righting of all wrongs. And Israel will one day, will, will then gain prominence over all the other nations spread throughout all the earth. And uh, we will be, Israel, Jerusalem, will be what Rome now claims to be. <clears throat> that was the hope of every Jew in Jesus' day. Every pious Jew. Every every religious Jew. Now they had different ways of believing the, uh, how this was going to come about. But that's what they all believed. God is going to restore creation so that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so, this was going to come as one event in their minds, as they had interpreted Isaiah 61 and other passages that were that were uh, circulating during Jesus' day. But Jesus quotes the passage differently. He leaves off the, uh, the day of vengeance of our God. He quotes the year of the Lord's favor, and then he dramatically he rolls up the scroll, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue are fixed on him because they knew the passage, and they knew what he did. Actually, they knew what he didn't do. <laughs> and then he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what do you think he's saying, implicitly anyway, about the day of vengeance of our God? It's not yet. It's not yet. Today is the day of the Lord's favor. So what Jesus does, and I think uh, did he, uh, Joe might have done this, we have the cross, and we'll say this for Jesus first coming, and then he return turn here. What Jesus does is he says, this age... Still continues. Jesus and Paul, they all use the language of this age. This is language of Second Temple Judaism. They all use that that language. They also use the language of the age to come. And we get to experience the age to come now. This is you and me. We get to experience that now. But we still live in this age. But we live in the hope of Christ's return when all the hopes of Isaiah 61 uh, and other prophetic passages will come true. So we become caught in the midst of seeing this age, the age of oppression, the age of sin, the age of of rebellion against God, the age of injustice towards each other. We live in the midst of that. And we have a hope for the day that Isaiah talked about, when all rights will be wronged, when the Messiah will renew creation so that there will be no longer any injustice, there will no longer be any natural disasters, there will no longer be any of these things that cause us pain. <clears throat> all sin will be eradicated from this world. And we live in the middle of that. We, and we have to experience the, the, the tragedies of life that have existed since the days of Adam, and we, that we also have a hope for the day when Christ will return and wipe every tear from our eyes.
0: can a diagram
1: of vengeance of our God when is that? Yeah. Okay. We could. I could do this two ways. Generally speaking, I think what the main point Jesus was saying was that vengeance happens here, and and this is the day of favor. Now we could we could play, and I don't know how much Jesus would want us to read into this, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean you could make a you can make more of a point here in that uh, abs- vengeance did come upon Jesus in our place, so you could say that Jesus took the day of vengeance of our God upon Himself for all who trust in Him, and you could also say the second coming is a day of great favor for God's people. Um, because we get to inherit everlasting life in the New Jerusalem, so I'm not sure it's it's uh, it's quite cut and dry. But what I think Jesus is doing, and have you ever driven across country to see uh, the, uh, see Colorado, like? And you, it, I saw this as a kid because we drove all the way up to Colorado for a uh, family reunion. You know, you get passed into Ohio, and it's like dead flat. If you're driving down, Route seventy or whatever. There's just nothing. Yeah, Western
3: know. Ohio and lawn is. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. Why bother? You know, you, you can, if your if your alignment is right in your car, you just you know let go and you end up in Colorado, right? <gasps> <laughs> it's <not> good, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, so but then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you got a mountain, and there's another mountain behind it, right? But when you're looking at it, when you're here in your little car, you, uh, these mountains look like they're right next to each other. But when you get on to the top of this one, if you decide to drive past Colorado, you find that there's a lot of distance between these two mountains. Does that make sense? And I think that's what Jesus is saying. He's standing here on the top of this mountain and it's saying, this one is not yet. This is the day of the Lord's favor. This is the day of vengeance. And so Jesus is standing on Isaiah looks forward and he sees two mountains. And he says, They're both coming. And everyone assumes that means they're coming all at once. Jesus stands on top of the first one and says, No, the second one is not yet. And I believe that the entire New Testament is trying to explain the already what Jesus has already done, what is not yet when Jesus returns, and how we ought to live in the middle of that. That's the New Testament. In my
0: opinion. Let's go. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> but, so what I want to do is to look at each of these different um, parts of the literature of the New Testament and be able to show how each of these different sections exhibit this. And at the at first glance, you I mean, you look at all these lines. I'm, almost, I'm like a dispensationalist here. Look at all those lines and charts I make. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, uh, we need more good charts, and uh, so I need to work on these, make them better. But the, um, uh, I think the impression that you can get is that this is not applicable. It's all corporate. It's all based on the kingdom of God and all this stuff that doesn't really apply to how I raise my children, stuff like that. But I really believe that this is kind of the, the, um, this is the grid that we all ought to have in our hearts and minds that will help us raise our children better. And that will help us ma- maintain our finances better. I think Jesus connected uh, this theology <clears throat> to everyday life in really practical ways. This is why Jesus says, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. That's, that's how you spend your money. That's practical advice on how to spend your money. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. That's, that's very practical advice on how we should shape our priorities when we spend our money not saying that I do that perfectly. <laughs> um, if we understand that we live in a time of misery, now yeah, with uh, where oppression and injustice and sin uh, appear to reign, and yet Jesus has come, has had a decided victory over that and yet and, and yet we have to wait for Christ to return to experience it in its fullness. We can't live under this impression that our children are just going to grow up and be perfect and love Jesus and not have any struggles. Yeah. That's just not real. That's not the world that Jesus describes for us. It's the hope for the way things will be when Jesus returns. It's not today. And so we live in an age of disappointment with our children. We live in an age of disappointment with our finances. We live in an age of disappointment with everything that we, that we experience. And yet we also live in an age of hope for our children, for our finances, for seeing the world become a place where God is honored and glorified in every aspect of human society. Where even the trees of the fields will clap their hands because God is here. And the rocks will cry out and issue praise to God because the creation is now the way it ought to be. So that's the New Testament. Um, but
0: looking back to Isaiah and the verses there, I'm trying to trying to think through it and apply it. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, when it says um, that there's. You know, to comfort all who mourn, and you know, bestow the crown on them. So, what you're saying is, those don't apply now, or they don't apply until the day of vengeance is come, or or they're not. Yeah. How would I read that and say they're going to be part done, but not? You know, he what he's saying. he kind
1: of means it, but not really. Yeah. I, I think I see your question. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't. We it it would be great if we could read that passage so that it came all of a sudden, so that all of a sudden our tears are wiped away and there is no more sadness. That's the impression that you're supposed that you get when you read the passage in in Isaiah. The Messiah is going to come, and I'm going to have no reason to cry anymore. Now, Jesus says, or John says in the end of Revelation chapter 22, that he will wipe every tear from their eyes then. But Jesus also says, rejoice now. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And Jesus talks about all the ways in which we're supposed to be thinking of ourselves as being blessed. That is the way we're supposed to be happy. And he says things like, happy are those who are poor, (laughs) poor in spirit. And he says, happy are those who mourn. Huh? I mean, you're right. I mean, it, it it doesn't... I don't want to say that the blessings of this time are not real, and they're not blessings, and they're just fake, and we just have to wait until here before we get anything to be happy about. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I think that there's a real sense in which we can experience great joy that we could never have uh, without Jesus in the present time. But I also think... Because we know what's coming. As great as what, whatever you can point to in your life and say, this life is really good. Whatever you can point to. Uh, when Jesus comes back, it's nothing compared to that. And, and so we all have a perspective where we know that even the greatest that life has to offer now it pales in comparison to what is yet to come. And so every, every pain that we experience, every instance of our suffering in the present time is also uh, not just, I'm sad, woe is me, but it's also, I'm longing for the day when all this will be over. It's hope. Suffering produces hope. And the hope produces perseverance. And it allows us to stick with it because we know that this is not the end of the story. We know the way that it works out. We know that this is not going to end the way it looks right now. And that's a great blessing. It allows us to endure.
2: Well, also, the, I'm not sure if this is sort of what you're getting at, Bruce. I mean, the kingdom come. It's here in this world now. But we, we still live in the kingdom of the ruler of this world. And
0: that hasn't been eliminated yet. Is that kind of. Well, I'm just. I, I guess I was trying to look back at Isaiah and see is there any indication there that you know that that it gets applied like the way you're saying mm-hmm. from from Luke. Um, you know, <coughs> I'm trying to understand how that should be read. Yeah, and and is there any indication that it's it's applied like that? In Maybe parts? if you
2: look at somebody who has struggles with an addiction and they come to Christ or they're in jail or you know you take a pretty extreme life example and they experience the gospel, they experience relationship with God, they experience the kingdom now, but they're also the kingdom not yet, so they still have all the consequences of their sin. They still got to deal with. But they can have joy and hope of what's still to come. They've experienced Jesus in a relationship and a peace that surpasses all understanding now. But they are not fully there because all the crap they still got to deal with. They still got to walk the journey. They still got to deal with life as it is. Does that? It's that struggle that you're in. What I see is.
4: In the New Testament when Christ came he not only forgave your sins but he gave you peace I mean and forgive he gave you I can't remember the terminology but he gave you the power to go on with life mm-hmm. and to do these things I mean his first thing he taught was the um, terminal on the Mount. And when you read through that, it's not things to do; it's how to be. It he changes your internal nature to help you.
2: Yes, live. the kingdom's yeah, come internally. It's come
4: internally yeah. to help you live with joy, help you get through life. No. and that's different than the Old
1: Testament. Yeah, I think I think if you were to ask Isaiah, how will these blessings come? He probably would say, "Well, Messiah's going to come; he's going to fix everything." And
0: yeah, so, it's just not in Isaiah.
1: No, I don't. I, Paul talks about the mystery that's been hidden from ages past, now revealed to the saints. I think this is the mystery. The mystery is that Jesus came to bring the day of or the year of the Lord's favor, not the day of evidence of our God. It, well, I shouldn't say he didn't. He didn't come to bring it, but he didn't bring it all at once. It, the way that the way that uh, it's often described is like Jesus stood at the crossroads, the age, this age, the age to come, and he went and grabbed the age to come and pulled it forward into this age, so that we get to experience both at the same time. And so uh, that's how it's not that Isaiah is wrong; it's just uh, Jesus gave a new interpretation, <laughs> uh, an interpretation of. Of Isaiah that you really couldn't blame Second Temple Judaism for not having. You can blame Second Temple Judaism for rejecting Jesus' inter- Jesus' interpretation of Isaiah because Jesus is the Messiah. <laughs> and so he was. The, you ought to be. You had to have been able to look at Jesus and realize that these prophetic hopes were becoming true in Christ. Um, and they still rejected him. That's that's what you fault. Uh, Second Temple Judaism for not for their interpretation of Isaiah so yeah
3: well there's um, Jesus' teachings in parables and, and speaking of things that are hidden from those who don't believe in um, in this sense if everything was really really clear in all the prophets Isaiah and whatnot. There wouldn't have been the misunderstanding of who Jesus was when He came, if if it had been totally clear in the prophets. Everybody would just be sitting there watching, doing the equivalent of watching their watch. Okay, He's due about now, and mm-hmm. it will, and would understand what was coming to yeah. me, sort of in a sense, because um, the the scriptures and the, what the prophets say and everything are very clear in hindsight. But there's many probably a whole lots of them in here that we haven't seen. Uh, fulfilled yet and we don't even realize that right because we don't have the whole picture yet either
1: yeah Jeremiah looks forward to a day when uh, if you live to be a hundred it's huh you died awful young <laughs> stuff like that we haven't we haven't quite experienced that yet um, and there there's lots of aspects of the Old Testament prophecies where we can kind of see yeah Jesus brought that but not not in his fullness um, we, ha- we can look at the world around us and we can say that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord has uh, spread throughout the whole earth in ways that they couldn't have then before Jesus came. Uh, it's the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord has spread well beyond the knowledge of the glory of the Lord at the time of Jesus. Uh, but has it covered the earth as the waters cover the sea? No, it doesn't take much time at all to realize that. <laughs> and so we can see it's like it's like Jesus' parable of the mustard seed. You know, it starts as this teeny tiny little seed, and eventually it infests the entire garden. <laughs> so uh, we're in the middle of that takeover. That's what I, I, I the New Testament, I believe, is about world domination. All oh, right, yeah. <laughs> Tea
3: day happened now. Now Mop-up <laughs> the mop up
1: battle. The was it Pliny? I think it was Pliny the Younger uh, described a mustard seed. They were apparently when they fall into the ground. I don't know anything about planting, but apparently when they fall, they they germinate very quickly, and they're like a weed. They they spread and they can take over your garden, and they don't smell very good.
4: I thought they're a tree.
1: They are large large bush oh I think you I think well, I think you call it a tree but I think that the, the parable calls it one of the largest of the garden plants so it's it's a tree like bush I think I've never seen one
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, but apparently it's, it's, a, it's a large this is interesting he could have chose a cedar of Lebanon that starts small and huge but he chose a mustard seed uh, partly I guess because the mustard is so teeny but also because it has this takeover property it just takes over a garden. And, um, yeah. So the, the kingdom of God frustrates gardeners, but it also gives places for the birds to sit. So, it's takeover, it's world domination. Because <laughs> that's, that, that's the only way to look at it, right? If the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Uh, that's Israel's God dominating over every other rival power.
3: Explains the ongoing battles and battles and battles over the centuries against the uh, Jews and the Christians. Yeah. The, other, the, the, the one <coughs> behind the other side is going, no, 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 I'm not going to let that happen, but he's going to lose.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. So, let's see. Let's because we've spent a lot of time on this, and I want to, and we'll come back to this already not yet stuff in the Gospels when we do the Gospels. And uh, what I want to do is just help on the on page two. I think we can do this really briefly. What I want to do is connect the the traditional understanding of the Gospel that we typically have, Uh, the EE presentation, the bridge illustration, the uh, uh, what's another one. Spiritual. for spiritual laws we all all these gospel presentations we use uh, they're almost always based on the doctrine of justification I'm, I'm not right with God I need to become right with God how do I become right with God I have faith in Christ and that he died and rose again all uh, true all true yes and, and what I want to do is because I think that sometimes when I, when I teach page one people think that that's not true or is less true or something page two is to, is to show how I think they all work together and we can think of the gospel in terms of concentric circles, with the with the central one being the gospel is the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's the good news. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and ascended into heaven. Now he reigns as king over heaven and earth. That's that's uh, that's the good news. The good news is also, though, if we take one one uh, circle out from that, he inaugurated a kingdom in which all the hopes of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the other prophets would come to pass. Which is larger than just individual salvation. It is seeing creation restored. Um, and so the, the kingdom has begun that will see that to completion because Jesus is king over that kingdom. But then that, that also requires members of, of that kingdom well first of all people have to become members of that kingdom how do you become a member of that kingdom justification and how is that kingdom spread to others so they can become members through sharing the gospel and it's, it's this is everything Campus Crusade wants this is everything the Navigators want it's everything EE wants it's um, it's sharing the gospel so that others can become part of Christ's kingdom. But we're not made part of Christ's kingdom, justified before God, so that we can just go to heaven when we die. I mean, that's great that we can go to heaven when we die, but we are called to live out this mission to see the knowledge of the glory of God cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So that causes us to um, to to live for Jesus' kingdom, and not for our own hopes and desires. So we give of ourselves. We, we willingly mourn because we give up things that are important to us or that are good for us because there's something that's even better for the world that they know about Jesus until Jesus returns and restores the creation. So you see, it, does that make sense, how the two work together? Mm-hmm. All, this, all the Gospel presentations that we use are very good. Uh, well, not all of them. The Jehovah Witness one is not very good. We don't use that one. We don't use that one. Or the Mormon <laughs> <laughs> Or the one is not very good. Uh, and they're certainly poor presentations of the Gospel. But my point is, we do need justification. It's, it's vitally important for the transformation of the world. So the kind of
0: justification, individual justification, Justification and the, the work of the church, it's kind of all or primarily in the third circle, there, bridging mm-hmm. between uh, a start of the restoration of the creation and then the full return and the full kingdom on earth right. in the fourth circle.
1: Yes, I, I think what the, the way I could summarize if there's a, d- a distinction between the way that I'm describing the gospel and the way it may be commonly described by well it's just uh, by D. James Kennedy, I can pick on him because he's no longer around to give me a hard time. and he knows better now and he knows much better than I do now. so you know anyway so, so the EE presentation, if I just say that, the the end product of the EE presentation as it's given, is so that I can know that I can go to heaven when I die. That's what they want you to, that's the question they want you to answer. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> we all want to know where to, that we're going to go to heaven when we die. But there's another, end. that's not the, the final end product. Uh, Jesus says, or I'm sorry, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 15 says, you know, if, if it's not for the resurrection of the body, our, our faith is in vain. Well, the resurrection of the body happens when Christ returns and restores creation. That our final hope is not that we go to heaven when we die. Our final hope is that our bodies will be risen again from the dead and live in a restored creation. And, the, and if you change the final product, that changes the way we live. Uh, like, time I don't want to take you too long. Alright, we have like 15 minutes. So... We, my wife and I were—we sold our house to move down here, and we had a deck in our backyard, or in our back behind our house, <clears throat> and that deck um, was in disrepair. Well, we were wondering if it was in disrepair, so it couldn't be fixed, so that we just simply had to be thrown out and and a new one built, or we had to plant seed and just not have a deck back there or something. Did we have to do that, or could it be fixed? Well, I don't know anything about wood, so I don't know. So I have a friend of mine come, and he looks at me and says, "Oh yeah, we, this is fine. We just it just needs to be power washed." And so he brought his power washer out, and he he did this for me in a day. He power washed my entire deck. He wouldn't believe how much better it looked. And then we took uh, all the the railings were all painted white. Well, when he power washed it, a lot of that paint left. So we repainted the 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 white parts. It looked like a brand new deck. So. But so imagine in between me him telling me or in, in between uh, me having the question what am I going to do with this deck to getting the answer, and uh, if my son were to just decide to practice uh, sawing wood with a saw on the back deck, you know, I might not be too happy about that, because I still have hope that these things can be can be fixed. Now if if Jeremy my friend were to come out and tell me this deck is worthless, you just need to tear it down, then do you think I mind what Nathan does to it? You see, I mean, the end product shapes the way we live and treat things in the present. If uh, the end product of the gospel is to get me to heaven when I die, do I have to care about the world around me? Not so much. Not so much. If the end product is the restoration of all creation, what does that do to my care? (laughs) Does that make sense? Uh, so it, what it does is it enlarges the scope of, of ministry to uh, basically everything that's where, uh, that can demonstrate Christ's reign over creation. Everything that can allow us to look at the world and say, Jesus reigns here because look what I did. That's, that affects the way we do our jobs. Every job, every profession, every voc- every vocation that we have is a calling, to see God's reign fill the earth as the waters cover the sea.
2: And we can bring that in some measure now, and He will bring it in full measure.
1: Right. We give people. There's a great quote by a guy named Leslie Newbegin that I love. Is he call? He says the kingdom of God is a is a a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste of God's coming kingdom. And I think it's a good way of looking at it because yeah, I I can't I can't bring I can't usher in the new heavens and new earth by the way that I live now. Um, but I can give people uh, a foretaste of it. I can be a sign, a symbol of what's coming. And I can be an instrument of real change in the present time. So that hopefully when I die and leave this world that I not only have hope that I'm going to go to heaven when I die, I also have Uh, great pride in the fact that God has used me to affect this creation in ways that demonstrate the glory of God. And I think that's a mission to live for. And, And I think the New Testament wants to give us that sense of mission and equip us to live that mission. And there's great blessing in living for that mission even if it looks to the outside world like where we're just mourning and suffering and crying and in pain. Because we, we have a hope for greater blessings that are yet to come. So it's better to give up now to gain in the future.
3: Yeah. I think the church needs to change the teaching on heaven or define it better, like Randy Alcorn would say. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, everybody, I've heard people in a sarcastic tone of voice, well, I don't want to spend my eternity sitting on a cloud yeah. playing a harp. I mean, and in a lot of people's mind, you know, that's it. Or that, uh, and and the whole idea of what the resurrection is all about and what all that will mean is, is maybe they're beginning to pay more attention to teaching that, but... Or maybe I just read a couple of books about it and I think they're paying more attention to it. Um, i got to admit, sitting on a cloud and playing a harp doesn't sound very interesting to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: But the thought of being in a world where you have all kinds of new things to discover and... um Maybe we'll be able to go out into the new universe. However we'll do that, whether we'll build ships or the Lord will give us some special powers or whatever. All the people who want to explore space, maybe they'll be able to do that. And yeah. all that that's much more. The thought of being able to participate, being part of that, is much more interesting than the, the crazy vision of sitting on a
1: clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what's happened, um, I'm not a historian, but I think what's happened is we have here... Like, like, you might be familiar with the fundamentalist liberal debate, fundamentalist modernist debate that happened in the, well, it came to in the, the 1920s. And, and, it, and you know how the, the pendulum thing works, right? I mean, you got a group of people that became liberal and they infested the, the evangelical church. And I'm more familiar with the Presbyterian tradition, but similar things happen in other traditions. And so the liberals came in, they lied on their Presbyterian exams. They, uh, and so when they said Jesus rose again from the dead What they meant was it turned spring every year Stuff like that And they end up pastoring churches Where they don't even believe that Jesus was born of a virgin They don't believe that he lived a sinless life They don't believe he died on the cross for our sins They don't believe he rose again from the dead You know and uh, So we're, This is the liberal They swung the pendulum all the way over to this side And they taught Social gospel they said, "Well, you know, just help people live better lives." You know, the whole thing of prohibition—that wasn't conservative fundamentalists. That was actually the liberals. They wanted to create a better society, utopian society, and alcohol was a problem. Hmm. It wasn't fundamentalists that did that. It was the liberals. Hmm. Uh, now we re- rebelled against the liberals, rightly like, so. They don't even believe in Jesus—not the one We're that lives alpha, anyway. anyway. Huh? Or alcohol yeah. yeah or alcohol for crying out loud. <laughs> let's get real <laughs> so we became fundamentalists. We said, you guys have given up on the fundamentals of the Christian faith, and you can read J. Christian Machin's book. It's a fantastic book it gives five categories of belief that they don't have, and he says these are fundamental to being Christian. you don't even believe it. So what he's trying to say is to the evangelical or to the Presbyterian Church of his day, it's not Christian. that's what he's trying to say. So, uh, now I don't think Mason was over here. Mason was probably closer here. But uh, the fundamentalist movement swung the pendulum so far on this side because they were so afraid of the social gospel that they would literally say, uh, you have to just share the gospel so that people can get saved. What they need to know to get saved is they go to heaven when they die. That's what the fundamentalists, because they were so afraid of, se- of being here. And so... Yeah, I mean, mission agencies were affected by this so that they would go into impoverished nations and they would share the gospel with them, but they would say, it's not our mission to feed them. uh, Because that's liberal. (laughs) It's what happened. Uh, This debate still rages in the mission community. (laughs) And so... How much do you... Yeah, and so uh, now things are not quite so extreme anymore. And I think what we're finding is people here are saying... You know what? Jesus made. God made us body and soul. We're supposed to care for people body and soul. God made all creation. He called it good. And so these you know, very basic things we no lo- that we, we kind of separated from our understanding of the gospel here are now causing... I think most evangelicals are moving this direction. I'm not saying all of us have. And I'm sure that there's a tendency for some to swing even back over here. But where we want to be is Here where we recognize that human beings are made of body and soul, that Jesus cares for all of creation, that Jesus didn't just come to... or, or When Adam sinned, this is a way, better way to say it, when Adam sinned and God cursed creation, he didn't say, all right, I'm just going to have to get rid of this thing. What Adam did was just too bad for me to fix. He came to redeem what Adam Messed up. So, and I, I love the the Christmas hymn. Far as the curse is found, that He came to make His blessings flow. far as the curse is found, that's all. That's, that's all I'm saying. And even better, really. I mean, the New Heavens and New Earth is better than the Garden of Eden. So, do we have time to look at one more thing? Because we can do it next week. It's not. It's ten twelve. What time am I supposed to end? Like right now, in it.
2: Just know it's going to get really noisy right outside the store when all the kids come in practice. So just time your exit so you don't get caught in traffic. You got a few minutes.
1: I have a few minutes. Yeah. Okay. Let's just we we can do this quickly. Look down here at the, on the middle of page three. This is under need for the New Testament. Why do we need the New Testament? Because absolutely, when Jesus talked about the Scriptures, he was talking about the Old Testament. When Paul was talking about the Scriptures, he was talking about the Old Testament. There's only one passage in the New Testament that talks about scriptures including any New Testament and that's from 1 Peter 3 which I quoted up here on the first bullet point. But let's look down at the second. This is Jesus talking to his disciples right before he's going to be betrayed. And would anyone like to read those three verses that I have there? Or those three passages? Do you see them there? 14, 25, 15, 26. Yeah, just read those three.
2: All this I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. I have much more to say to you, more than you can b- now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to, is yet to come.
1: Now, a lot of people look at these verses as if Jesus was talking directly to me or to you. But I don't think he was. I think he was talking to the apostles. He was telling the apostles what he was going to do for them uh, not for everyone who believes in jesus in other words i don't think he's promising every single human being that believes in jesus that he's going to send the holy spirit to lead them into all truth um, he he tells the apostles that he's going to come and lead them into all truth and they are going to do something very important with the testimony they received like they they witnessed jesus they saw him they spent year three years with him he died. He rose again. Now they're given the Spirit. The Spirit then is, uh, if we looked at all these three passages carefully, you can see he's saying that this, the Holy Spirit is going to remind them of the things that, he, that Jesus taught them when He was with them, and He is going to reveal to them what's yet to come in, in John 16. But then also give them testimony that they were supposed to pass on to the church in the present time. So, so here we got. How are you it? we have this diagram here. He's going to remind them of this. He's going to explain to them this. And he's going to tell us how we ought to live here. That's the Bible. That's the New Testament. It's uh, how are we going to live in the in knowing what Jesus for being reminded constantly. We need to be reminded what Jesus has already done. What Jesus has yet to accomplish when He returns and how we ought to live in the present. Because this is God's kingdom. Jesus is king of the kingdom, and he has to administer his kingdom. He has to govern the affairs of his kingdom. And so the apostles are the ones that are being uh, chosen by Jesus to write down uh, the testimony of Jesus and the Holy Spirit about how we ought to live in the present time. To, so that Jesus, as king of his kingdom, can direct the, fa- the affairs of his kingdom for all of his followers. I just thought that was a good perspective of on the New Testament. So when we look at the New Testament, we should be looking at it in that from I think those three perspectives: what has Jesus done, who is He, what has He done, what has yet to happen when He returns, and how are we to live now. That kind of covers it. Mm-hmm. That's it. So, any thoughts or questions before we get inundated with noise at the at the door?
4: we just did um, MacArthur's study in Corinthians and we studied spiritual gifts Uh that kind of would explain why maybe some spiritual gifts aren't as prevalent nowadays either if they were used to try to
1: yeah yeah that is a can of worms isn't it yeah we can talk about that if you want I have uh, no okay
2: (laughs) No, yeah, she just it but
1: up. I, well, I think we can <laughs> yeah. say, well, talk about I think we all can agree with this that Jesus gave additional revelation to his apostles and those surrounding him. Like Luke did, it was not an apostle, but he wrote down apostolic testimony. So the inspiration came to them that doesn't come to revelation came to them that doesn't come to us. And and I think that's a that's a, a point that I think is important. We can't have people running around calling themselves apostles in the same sense that Paul was an apostle.
3: <laughs> yeah, look what the, the Mormons think is possible yeah, it's it's continuing revelation. What's, his face? what's, what's wrong Smith. with you if you don't get continuing revelation? So, yeah. yeah. Look that's, where that led them.
1: That's the, big, that's the big point in there that I think is very relevant to this is that the scriptures are the full, complete testimony of everything we need to know until Jesus returns. Maybe not everything we want to know, but everything we need to know. <laughs> so everything that that Jesus needs to give us to direct the affairs of his kingdom until he returns is here. So that's the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. It may not be everything, but it's what we need. <laughs> so... Well, great. Well, if you have any other questions, feel free to email me or we'll talk about it next week. And uh, I'll, But these these three things, Second Temple, Judaism, Hopes, and, and uh, the language of it, which oh, we've already kind of covered that, haven't we? Oh. And the Kingdom of God and big picture framework stuff. Uh, I'll try to uh, take each of the next three lessons and put them in that vein, which is great because I wanted to do that anyway. <laughs> so thank you. No, thank you. Thank
3: you. He, uh, puts really, um, of the books I'm reading, I don't know whether you've seen the Lois Wurberg and Ann Spangler, uh, sitting at the feet of Rabbi Jesus. I hmm. uh, wasn't aware
4: how
2: Jesus, as a
3: rabbi, was following a tradition like that had so developed. It's, not, it's not my favorite. It was a very well known tradition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is yeah. why you could go I I into in the and congregation of, you know, right? and listening rabbis. Oh, yeah. uh, yeah. Right. The way I'm picking it, I'm yeah. Guess a fascinating
2: with the things. And now I, I'm not a big
3: fan how much, of, he, I, I'm of
2: got I'm the I'm assuming they're got mostly got the story straight
3: on how what world area outside have um, and, um, I'm not what a big study has provided some background understanding? Mm-hmm. World,
2: like,
3: Jesus added on to the tradition they came to, but, but if like, you like were my too different like to school, start uh, with, like nobody show, would have know, follow. Them. The no,
2: they didn't say that. Really but I'm necessary. thinking, yeah, if he'd been too different, if I had my brothers, we would probably. He wouldn't have made heavens,
3: but he was following a tradition that was why they could walk into city or. Yeah, expect to be fed if that's what.
2: Yeah, I've never been a good for it.
3: I've been to Littleton. I was um, the just the way it was put. I mean, maybe I heard it once before, before but I just
4: had sunk in. Probably because my mm-hmm. dad we'll joined Air Force Academy. And Those kinds of
1: things. Yeah. Oh, Here's a, another book I read recent, well, a while ago. In no, in Maryland. by David Flesser.
4: Overlooked. Uh-huh.
1: And he is, uh, his but name.
4: Pasture, he's, horses, he's a Jew. Uh-huh. The Air Force uh-huh. Academy. I think he's a
1: Messianic uh-huh. Jew. Oh. He's certainly very positive about Jesus and there the title you, of the book yeah. is yeah, just I'd called Jesus in my
2: backyard yeah and
1: <laughs> but I, we didn't
2: know him <laughs> he, he has to be on because yeah, he's he, uh,
1: <laughs> he brings out so dad, much what I mean, he's done is he's looked at a lot of yeah, the second temple Judaism yeah. documents like the Qumran scrolls mm-hmm. and stuff and he shows all these parallels <laughs> and between Jesus' teachings Right. and, uh, so like and what Judaism say, would have yeah. taught in Jesus' day. Baltimore, I think he's DC, the one that brought up the that DC, quote about where, where two or three Baltimore, are gathered together in Torah is in Baltimore, their midst. Um, and uh, he's, he found some wonderful parallels the between Isaiah 61,
2: Jesus' um, Beatitudes, <laughs>
1: uh, passages in the Qumran schools that were very similar to both. Oh, um, anywhere it's fun. just fascinating stuff. Really wonderful book.
3: I read one on my on, Nehemiah uh, Gordon, mm-hmm. who's apparently a Jew, but not uh, rabbinic Jew. Okay. Okay. Kabba? or what is it? Kara, uh, K- Kara. Torah.
0: from right.
3: uh, all Tora. Where's the majority Where of your it? family live? Oh, like Torah and Tanakh is it? Uh-huh. Rabbinic we got tradition. Uh huh.
4: It's
3: got to
2: be
1: in the scriptures. Yes.
3: Sort of fundamentalist, uh, I would think. But so he's a specialist in yeah. languages, Calum, all the ancient yeah. languages so my whole and family And somebody family asked him about a problem they were and having Americans. interpreting some Everybody person in Matthew that sort York of seemed York. kind of contradictory. was mom, weird. whole extended family. And he did and some studies so and he appara- he's, so. he's very strongly in the favor. Everybody's like there. Matthew was not original, and you may know that and have not originally written in Greek. That's a copy of Hebrew so original. the whole movie. Around, I, I, I know I I've like, heard for years that Matthew away? was written to the Jews. Move away? So they would have written in it's Hebrew. Better than China.
1: Yeah, that's and then it's it's if you not trans- decided. When you
3: translate it back into Hebrew, some of the sentences and, and other things yeah. that he saying make sense. Mm-hmm. Because they're yeah, in, in they're hebraicisms, even in Greek. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you translate it yes. back to Hebrew, you go, because okay. he was helping a be answer the question, and we'll you mm-hmm. the
0: Yeah, I don't know why? if. Yeah.